0: Thank you.
1: Good morning, and happy Sabbath. Welcome, and we are glad that you guys are here. Um, It's so good to see so many faces here. Uh, I just want to say a special welcome to those of you that are joining us online. We are glad that you are here as well. We have so many announcements for you guys this morning that I actually had to write them down because I was losing track of them. So a lot of exciting things that we have going on. Um, First up, I mentioned several weeks ago that once we had a date, we would tell you when the next men's breakfast is. We have a date! July 11th is our next men's breakfast, and it will be from 9 to 10.30, and y'all will be flipping pancakes. So come with your appetites. They will be excited to see you. Um, The day before that, July 10th, is a Saturday, and we have two things happening after church. We will be having potluck in the park that's out at Leslie Groves, following the church service. And then also, we will be having mosaic at Leslie Groves after that as well. And so we're going to have potluck in the park, and then we'll have mosaic later in that afternoon. And so lots of exciting things happening at... Uh, that day, July 10th, in Leslie grows. Also, Children's Sabbath School um, is still looking to have some helpers. Uh, if you would like or are interested in helping teach, we are looking for some more people to help out. And hopefully, if we can get the help, we will be starting that July 17th. If you are interested or maybe know of someone who might be interested, please let Keeney Mitchell know. Today is our last sermon in our series, The Encounter, Forever Encounters, and so we're excited that, you know, you've got on this journey with us through Forever Encounters. Um, During the summer, we're going to be doing a la carte sermons, so we're not going to be following a sermon series, and then we'll start a new sermon series up in the fall. Um, But today is our last day of our Forever Encounters series. And then last but not least... Um, our member John Smith is slowly recovering, um, but he still desperately needs our prayers. And so we wanna pray for John Smith and his family and for uh, the situation surrounding that. So we really need your prayer in that. Welcome, we're glad you're here. Please go ahead and stand with me in worship.
2: my soul will rest my confidence in you alone my hope has a name I fix my eyes on Christ my King. I bow my life, I fix my eyes.
3: morning, church. I can't tell you it still feels so good to be able to say that and actually see people in the church and hear people in the church say good morning back. Shh, just listen, listen. You know what that sound is? That's right. You guys are way ahead of me. That's air conditioning. How hot? I mean, how hot it is outside, Jesus is keeping us cool inside. How cool is that, huh? We are now in the very last sermon of our series, Forever Encounter. And every sermon up until now has been a very positive Forever Encounter. This one, we don't know how it ends. We have a hint, but we're not sure. I read about Alexander the Great, who was one of the most powerful, rich, young leaders of all time. And after falling ill at the age of 32, that's right, young age of 32, he declared three very strange wishes to one of his trusted generals. The three strange wishes were as follows. He wanted, number one, only his physicians to carry his coffin. That's it. Number two, he wanted his procession to the grave to be scattered with gold, silver, and stone, which he had collected in his treasury. And number three, probably the weirdest of all three of these, was his last wish was that both of his hands should be kept dangling outside of his coffin. True. So they made two holes, you know, and they put his hands out, and this is what he did. Now, no one dared to ask the king about the strange wishes, but the general knew. And when he finally died, he shared with the world why. Alexander had these three wishes, this very rich, very young, powerful young leader. He says, the first wish, he says, I want the physicians to carry my coffin because people should realize no man can really cure, only the gods. And we are powerless and cannot save a person from the clutches of death. Do not take life for granted. That was his message. Second wish, the one of dispersing the gold, silver, and other riches in the way of the graveyard, on the way to the graveyard, is to tell people that not even a fraction of gold will come with me, he says. I spent all my life earning riches, but cannot take anything with me. Let people realize that it is a sheer waste of time to chase wealth. And then finally, his third wish, don't you want to know about the one hanging out? Having my hands dangling out of the coffin, I wish people to know that I came empty-handed into this world, and empty-handed I go out of this world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know what you think about Alexander the Great, whether you even thought he was good, let alone great, but I do like what what he wrote, what he said. To his general, and what he did. We hear this a lot from wealthy people, don't we? Solomon said, "At the end of the day, you know, all is what, vanity." I was having lunch with a really good friend of mine a couple days ago. He shared with me that he saw a bumper sticker on a car that said, "He who dies with the most toys wins." It's an old one. Have you guys seen this one? He who dies. You know, the reality is, of course. Alexander the Great would say to you, he who dies with the most toys loses the most toys. (laughs) Right? Well, there's a Bible story, like Alexander, and it's a sad story. It's also about a very wealthy, young, powerful ruler. In fact, we know the story as the story of the rich young ruler. You heard of it? Jesus doesn't tell this as a parable. This is apparently something that actually happened during his lifetime because all three of the Synoptic Gospels talk about it. Mark, Matthew, and Luke. Have you ever had a life-defining moment A moment in your life where it fundamentally changes the direction of your life? It has the potential to alter the trajectory of your life? Have you you ever had a moment like that? I've had a couple in my life. I wonder what your defining moments have been. I wonder if you you took out a journal and you can list them, if you would be able to do so, how would you feel? How would you react if those defining moments became public domain? Meaning that that everybody can read about it. Even if it was a failing defining moment. One that you messed up. And that's what you have in the Bible in this story of the rich young ruler. As this young man approaches Jesus, the Gospel of Mark says he falls to his knees. I think he's thinking maybe, just maybe, he was the one that would answer the burning questions that kindled deep within his heart. I'm going to take the story mostly from the Gospel of Matthew, if you don't mind. And if you want to follow in your Bibles, it's Matthew 19, but it'll also be on the screen. I'm going to start with verse 16, and it says this in Matthew 19, verse 16. It says, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, rabbi, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Have you ever found yourself asking this question? This question alone is very interesting to me. We want to know what we what? Must do. We have become really good at being living doers rather than what we were designed to be and that was living beings. What must we do? I want to know what we can do. Jesus is about to disturb this man's entire approach to God. This man's entire approach, this man's entire philosophy about God and who God is. And quite frankly, everyone that was listening there, even his disciples, because they're all thinking, that's a great question. What must we do? And in essence, what Jesus is about to say is, you don't do eternal life. You be connected so that you can be inspired and so you can be influenced and you can be changed. That's how you get eternal life. It's not about what we do, it's about what we be. And that is in a relationship with the one and only person being that can save our lives, and that is who? Jesus Christ. So Jesus kind of follows along and says, okay, we'll play this game. You want to play the what shall we do game? Let's play the what shall we do game. He says, why do you ask me about what is good? Another version says, why do you call me good? There's only one person that's good and that's God. And in essence, what Jesus is going to say here is, so if you think I'm good, do you think I am good enough good enough to enrich your life beyond your imagination am I good enough because you say I'm good and only God is good so he says why do you ask me about what is good Jesus replied there's only one who is good if you want to enter life keep the commandments you want to do do. this is the do If you're interested in doing, here you go. And the man is all ears, and he's like, well, which ones? I love what Jesus says here. Pay attention to the commandments that he states and the ones that he does not state. Jesus replied, boy, you shall not murder, check. You shall not commit adultery, check. You shall not steal, check. You shall not give false testimony, of course, check. Honor your father and mother, check. Love your neighbors as yourself, okay, check. By the way, you notice that's not one of the ten? That's all the other ones put together? I love the way Jesus baits this young man. He he sets him up kind of for like a sequential kind of a thing. Like, for example, if I said to you, two, four, six, you would say? Yeah, see that? Set you up for that one. If I would say to you, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you would say? Thursday, yes, of course. And this is what Jesus is doing right now. He is setting him up. The guy says, what good thing must I do? And then Jesus says, do you want to do the commandments? Do the commandments. And he says, which ones? That's the second question. And then the third question, well, wait a minute. What am I missing? See, that's, that's a setup. That's Jesus baiting. Those of you who are fishermen, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Baiting this man and then reeling him in. Matthew 19, 20 says, All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Well, maybe what you lack is the ones I didn't mention. More specifically, have no other gods but me. Because at the end of the day... You are God's masterpiece. But so many of us live as if we are our own masterpiece. Look what I've created. And that's what this man was doing. He was saying, look at this masterpiece I have. What am I missing? What am I doing wrong? Have you ever felt like something is missing? Maybe. Maybe. Some of you have been just like this rich young ruler. Raised in the church. As some would say, born on the bus. Maybe he's even a church officer of some kind. A leader, perhaps. Knows every Bible story inside out. You sit here, maybe even some of you are sitting here right now, yeah, I've heard this story a thousand times. And one of the things I love to say is do not let the familiarity of this story rob you of its blessing. Because we can so easily get caught up in autopilot. We can so easily get caught up in in, in doing routine. Everyone sees the outside of you and cheers, but on the inside, you're empty. I've had discussions with people that have been members for many, many, many years, and, and they've been good people. And they've contributed to society. They've, they've done good things to, they've been good moms and dads. They've been good churchgoers. They've paid tithes. They've done everything right. But deep down inside, they said to me, Pastor, what am I missing? You ever been missing something? The other day, I, I, I was in a hurry. I had to get out and go somewhere and I grabbed my wallet and I grabbed my phone and grabbed everything, my bag. I knew that I was going to get there. But, you know, it was like this deep thing inside, like something is missing, you know. And then, like, my glasses. Oh, yeah, i got to get my glasses on. That'll be easy. I get to my car, and I forgot my keys. You know, that feeling like, oh, man. Well, something was missing. All of our lives, we've been programmed to think that it's about doing and having. And some of you, your life, you've been trained to crawl, to walk, to run, to climb, to reach for the skies. I just read about a race between two of the richest men in the world, Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson, and they want to, be, to figure out who's going to be the first in what? Space. Because we are all about getting higher and higher and higher and reaching and doing it on our what? And it's like, what must I do to get there? What must I do to have eternal life? It's always been our weakness ever since the garden. What can I do? But deep down inside, you know, we all know instinctively, I can never do enough. Do you believe that? In fact, Jesus says, without me, you can do what? A little bit. Without me, you could do 0.1%. Isn't that what he says? No, he says, you can do nothing. You know, our young people get this. In fact, there's a young lady that I know that just got this tattoo. Let's put the tattoo up. Can we we get the tattoo up? There it is. And the tattoo says what? I am not what? Enough. Now, some of you, are sitting there and you're stuck on the fact that it's a tattoo. (laughs) Right? I I get it. And I asked permission of this young lady if I could put this tattoo up. I won't tell you who this young lady is. But she's a member of our church. (gasps) Well, let me really shock you. What if I told you it was the pastor's daughter who made the tattoo on this young lady that said those things? You want to know why our young people are going to usher the second coming? Because they know it's not about what I do, but it's about who I am in Jesus Christ. And I know that I can do nothing without Jesus Christ. I can only do what God gets me and and empowers me to do. And my biggest and most important thing to do is to just fall in love with Jesus and let Him do everything else in me to be connected in fact John 15 verse 5 says I am the vine and you are the branches if you remain in me and I in you you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing and that's the verse and if you looked at that at that 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 awesome tattoo it was. It was. I am, and then there was crossed off. Not, but yet with, with Christ I am enough. And you, you'd be surprised to know that this young lady thought of this all on her own. To have this tattoo to say this is what I want the world to know about me and about my relationship with Jesus. Now, I don't care what you think about tattoos. I, I get it. Some of us like them, some of us. I don't even like them that much. But, but it's not about that. Part of our problem is that we get stuck on that. We are just like this rich young ruler because we get stuck on the do and the don't and we miss what God has for us. How are we doing out there? So what do I still lack? I love this because the Bible tells us that when this young man asked that question, the Gospel of Mark says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. It was right at this point. That's when it throws that in. Because Mark was a young guy himself and he, and he, he caught on something that the other two did not. He's like, wait a minute. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And if you've been doing church for a long time, and you feel like something is missing, just listen to me. There's nothing wrong with you. And God doesn't love you any less. But He wants so much for you to grab a hold of this wonderful, amazing truth. You don't do eternal life. you Connect to the One who is eternal. He is the Vine. He is the Life. This is this young man's most important defining moment. I love the way Jesus answered the question when He says, "You know, what am I still lacking?" As if Jesus saying, "Lacking? It's not about lack. You have too much. That's the problem." You're not lagging anything. Matthew 19, 21 says, Jesus entered. If you want to be perfect, now, for those of you who get stuck on this word, sorry. Let me me just help you out here. The word here, the Greek word is talios. (coughs) And talios is way more, way better interpreted as if you want to be Full, or if you want to be fulfilled. Does that make sense? So basically what Jesus is saying is if you want to be fulfilled, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. If you want to be full, get rid of stuff. And you will have treasures in heaven. And then come and follow me. Don't miss that because if this young man had answered differently, he would have been one of the disciples. And I'll let you deal with the issue of 13 disciples instead of 12. I mean, it's up to you. I'm not going to get stuck on that. Wow. And then verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 22 says When the young man heard this, he was overjoyed and said, I will, I will give everything to the poor, and I will follow you. You convicted me. Thank you. That's what was missing. Don't you wish the story ended that way? Like Zacchaeus, just a few chapters later. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He went away crying. Because when you've defined your life by wealth instead of significance, that's hard to hear, isn't it? When you've defined your life by success, instead of significance, instead of being God's design for you, that's really hard to hear. You know there are times when i'll preach a sermon i'm looking out at the audience and i see some of you some of you nodding i get it you know that's okay It's that time of the afternoon sometimes you know but sometimes i'll say something and for some reason it touches you and and you begin to cry i've had people come up to me after a sermon and say oh oh pastor man that 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 sermon was so good oh pastor that that, man, you, you, you got me right here, Pastor. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, Pastor, you, you ruined me. <laughs> I bet people say, You ruined me today. Oh, my goodness, you know. But I always wonder is that the goal? Or is the goal of the Word to get us to surrender? To let go. You know what I'm saying? Because in essence, what Jesus was saying was let go. Three things, if I can share those with you. Let go of the idea that stuff is going to make you happy. Some of us need to need to just just realize that very simple truth. Some of us know it, some of us don't, but it's so hard, isn't it? But we we believe that stuff is going to make us happy. We need more stuff. We don't have enough stuff. We need better stuff. I really liked my car, but then I saw my neighbor's car. Wow, that's a nice car! We have to let go of the idea that stuff is going to make me happy. Number two, let go of the idea that of defining our identity by climbing the ladder of success. And then finally, I love this one. Let go of the idea that it's possible to save myself. Boy, you are awfully quiet here today. You know, Steve Jobs, the inventor of Apple, and very wealthy man, lying in bed while his horrible disease was withering him away, wrote these words, I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In other eyes, my life isn't at a is an epitome of success. However aside from work I have little joy. In the end wealth is only a fact of life that I am accustomed to. And one of the things that my hope is for you as a congregation is that you never walk away sad and not allow God to change you. That you're never on your deathbed and say, I'm not afraid of dying, I'm afraid of the life that I did not live. Matthew 19, 23 continues, then Jesus said to his disciples, and I, I, you know, I, bet, there, the, I bet that he was sad as he was saying this, I bet he was, it was hard for him to say this, he said, I tell you, that, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? You see, because it was the rich that can get the best sacrifices to bring to the temple. It was the rich that can do everything they needed to do so that they can be forgiven. They're like, this is what they understood. They're like, wait a minute, it's not about that. No. Now, please understand, Jesus wasn't saying there's, there's, it's wrong to be rich. Abraham was rich. Right? Nothing wrong with being rich. It's about being rich with your hands open. That's what it is. It's about how you use that wealth. And one of the things that I, I love about this church is how generous you are. For God's kingdom. And I celebrate that. I want to tell you that because that tells me something. Because when somebody says to me, has your church been growing? I don't look at numbers. I say, yep, it is more loving. It is more serving. It is more generous. It is more in love with Jesus. It is growing. And if we do that, God does the rest. And Jesus looked at them and said, but man, this is impossible." But with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him. I love Peter, man. He's always always going to come out and say, like, amen. Can I just say something here? We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits in his glorious throne... You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the first will be last and the many who are last will be first. And so while the piano plays, and so while the piano plays, (laughs) I remember one of my defining moments. I was in church, small little church, there's only about 20 of us in there. I don't even remember the sermon the pastor preached. In fact, I don't even think it was the pastor. I think it was the head elder, Brother Tommy. Brother Tommy was this convert from from the Baptist church. Big guy. He would walk into the church and he'd be like, welcome brother. You know, give you this hug, every bone in my it It was like going to a chiropractor every Saturday morning, man. I loved him. And he'd always preach on revival. That's what it was. I don't remember the exact sermon, but I know it was on revival. And then he did something that is so strong in the Baptist tradition. It's called an altar call. (laughs) An altar call for baptism. i had been going to church now for about a year and a half, and I, I felt the tugging of my heart by Jesus. I remember reading in this little book that if, if I don't resist, but I remember also my, my, my mom and my dad begging me not to. They're good Catholic parents. They thought I'd, I'd be going to hell if I got baptized in a Protestant church. My mom said, don't you get baptized. Don't you walk in here. but I accepted the invitation to follow him. I let go of the idea that stuff was going to make me happy. I let go of defining my identity by becoming successful. I let go of the possibility that I could actually save myself. And as Brother Tommy was giving that altar call, I'll never forget, I was standing there with two friends of mine, and nobody wanted to look at each other. <laughs> I don't know if you've been in that situation. But we sat there, we stood there actually, and, and, and just, he's, he wasn't stopping. And the more he, he invited, the more my heart was tugging, and I was like <sighs> I remember at one point he said, I don't want your money. God does not want your money. So that's good. Because I was kind of poor anyway. He said, God wants everything. (laughs) He wants your whole life. Hmm. And somehow, something began to shake in my legs, and I asked my buddy to move out of the way, and he got the hint, and he was like, okay, well, you're going, I'm going, and The next guy was like, okay, well, if you guys are going, I'm going. And all three of us make our way up. And then I began to sob like a baby. Now I know that our religion is an intelligent religion. And that we often try to shy away from these emotional moments. But can I tell you something? If the heart... Is not connected to the mind. Something is missing. Are you following what I'm saying? What is missing? So here's what I want right now. I'd love for you to stand, all of you. Just go ahead and stand. I need it. It's very important that it, that it, that it becomes something that is, that is genuine and real, don't feel pressured in any way. Please, I, I, I don't like that either. I get it. But if you're in this congregation right now, first of all, go ahead and close your eyes and bow your heads. Please do that for me right now. Everyone, close your eyes, bow your, bow your head. If you've been thinking about Giving your life to Jesus and getting baptized or rebaptized, would you raise your hand high for him? It doesn't have to be right now. I'm not going to do it right now. But if you want to be baptized or rebaptized, raise your hand high. Nobody is looking, just Jesus. Everybody's eyes are closed. and everybody's head is bowed. I'm going to give you a few more moments. A couple of you, thank you so much for raising your hand. If there's anybody else, raise your hand high. Let Jesus know. It is okay. Some of you, Some of you have been baptized you've been going to church and you love Jesus and you know that with all your heart, but you feel like maybe, maybe because of the past year and all that's been going on or maybe because of things in your life you've kind of relaxed a bit and you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. If that's you, again, please, all eyes closed and heads bowed, would you raise your hand? Would you let Jesus know? that this morning you're giving your life back to Jesus. Do not walk away sad today because I'm going to tell you right now, if you're in this room and you've given your life to Jesus and you've accepted his life on behalf of yours, God, the Bible says, has given you eternal life. And so, Father, I pray for these folks, for everyone that has raised their hands. I pray that you bless them above and beyond what they could ever imagine, Lord. I pray that you would help them to become connected to you, influenced by you, changed by you, and become servants of the kingdom of heaven that they may lay a hold of the precious promise that they have treasures in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Put your hands down, remain standing, and let's sing this last song together.
4: calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from and mistakes, come today, there's no reason to wait, Jesus is calling, bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ O oh, come to the altar The Father's arms are open but with the precious blood of O oh, come to the altar. You a fourth crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found.
3: And pray with me. Oh, Father, I pray, Lord, that as we consider. these forever encounters that we've been talking about in the past few months, Lord. I pray that that your spirit would lead us to make the choices we need to make so that we would be on our journey for our forever encounter. I pray, Father, for our church as we reopen fully, as we get moving again and, and, and planning for the months to come. And as we partner with you, Lord, to advance this wonderful kingdom of yours, be with us. Help us to always be ready. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have raised your hand at the beginning of my call. Please see Pastor Fred or myself or Pastor Larissa. We'd love to talk with you. Uh, You can do it today, and if not, you could do it sometime during the week. Give us a call. We'd love to be able to talk with you and, and set up the journey to make that happen, all right? God bless you guys. We'll see you soon. Have a wonderful Sabbath.